Tonight we're going to try something new tonight. We're going to try to learn two. Two short pieces from the Zerah Shimshin. Hopefully everyone has a copy. If you don't get a copy, please take. Uh, we're going to start with this second one. So this is done. Uh, number Chavav, Parshas Kisisa. So this is a good, really strong piece of Torah. Uh, short, short and sweet. So let's see. He goes on in Gemara in the dark. Moshe Rabbeinu was a very wealthy man, the Gemara says. And the question is, why was Moshe Rabbeinu a rich man? So the Gemara says, Sham. The Gemara Nidarm says, Amin Rami Rabbi Chama Barchanina. Again, the second page, Chava. Rabbi Chama Barchanina says, Lo Hashir Moshe Elami Psalton Shalupa. Said the reason, the source why Moshe Rabbeinu was wealthy was from the Psalas, the Psalton of the Luchas. So what does that mean? The second Luchos, Moshe Rabbeinu, Shinam Psalacha. Moshe Rabbeinu was told to call, to carve for yourself. What does that mean, car for yourself? Moshe Rabbeinu was told, instead of the first luchos being Maisa Elokim, the work of Hashem, where Hashem miraculously makes the tablets, the second luchos, the pshat is, it's made by Moshe Rabbeinu himself. So it's carving. Moshe Rabbeinu carves. But instead of just saying the word carve, it says psol lecha. You carve for yourself. And the question is, what does it mean to carve for yourself? Psol lecha. Psol shocha. It means when you carve something, there are pieces that get shaved off, right? You have to like imagine like, you know, you're, you're carving out a piece of wood or you're shaving something down. So there's little carvings, there's little, little pieces, the psalis that comes off. So he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to keep those things. The shavings, the psalis, what's left over, the remnants, the little pieces that come out when Moshe Rabbeinu is making the luchos, he was allowed to keep. And we know that the stones were, were, were very expensive stones, were almost precious stones, so on and so forth. Moshe Rabbeinu was allowed to keep those things, so he became a wealthy person. That's what the Gemara Darshan. So Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore, was an asher. In fact, if you look at the Gemara in context, the Gemara says that in order to be a common navi for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to tell a person, you know, direct nevuah, you have to have a lot of milas. Not everybody is so the person, one of the things that person has to be is rich. You got to be strong. You got to be powerful. One of the things you got to be is rich. And the Gemara says that we learn all of these qualities from Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu had richness. And the Gemara says, Moshe Rabbeinu was rich. And that, to that, the Gemara responds with this drasha. Go carve for yourself. What does it mean, carve for yourself? That the psalis of the luchos were allowed to be kept by Moshe Rabbeinu. What is the significance of Moshe Rabbeinu becoming wealthy in this specific way? And if you think about it, it's pretty... It's pretty ironic, you know, and we're going to get into this. But basically, Moshe Rabbeinu is getting a rich off the leftovers. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's, a, it's a very strange thing. So less, and what you hear in the word psol, what it means you carve, and it's a, there's definitely a duality in the meaning, it's an irony in, in translation, is that usually when you think of leftover, you think of scraps, you don't think of value, you don't think of wealth, you don't think of riches. But when you're dealing with something that's really valuable, then even the psalis, even the remnant, become very valuable. So you think about, you know, the gold, a little bit of gold and the little shavings of it can become valuable. So Moshe Rabbeinu, from the remnants of the luchos that he is carving, that's how it becomes wealthy. What's, what, what, what is the significance of this? We can explain. What was Moshe? Moshe was a person who gave himself over to whatever needs the community needed. As we say in the Medrash Allah Pasuk, a very powerful Medrash. When Moshe Rabbeinu, where was he chosen? It was in the context of the burning bush. Moshe sees a burning bush. He goes to see what's going on. Kadosh Baruch Hu appears to him. What does the Pasuk say? Hashem sees Kisar Lir Ice. What does it mean, that Sar? Sar means to turn away. Moshe Rabbeinu, we always hear about this. I always see his curiosity. He was interested. He didn't just, you know, keep on going. The whole Indian of HaKadosh Baruch Hu choosing Moshe Rabbeinu was Sar, that he turned away Liros to see. 
Shesar miyasakov. What does it mean, Sakta Medrash, that he turned away? He turned away from his own personal affairs. And this is the biggest site. I think we all we all know it. It's, there are so many, you know, like uh, YouTube little short videos to this effect about a busy setting when people, especially, you know, downtown Manhattan on the way to work or the way after work, you see something crazy. The craziest thing can be going on. But if you have to go, if you have to go to work, you're just going to keep on going. It doesn't really matter what, what it is that's occurring. You go, you focus. And, 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 and it's really a general muscle. It's a muscle for life that focused people, ambitious people who are, who are acutely focused on the right things. So they don't have time. They don't look around them. They don't see what's going on. You focus on what's in front of you. And it's a personal thing. The Moshe had the curiosity, but also the, 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 broad, the breath. In other words, he had the, a broader mind an idea that it was more than just about him. He was okay with looking around himself to see what else could happen. That was the meat of Moshe Rabbeinu, that he was okay turning away from his own personal needs in order that he should be busy with what Klal Yisrael needed. And you know, it's not only why Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen from the inception. Look at his career. Look at his lifetime. What did he do all of the days? Think about everything he did. He took care. He sacrificed himself. He took care of Klal Yisrael. Shenamari goes to Pasuk. Look at that. Moshe is judging the people. What does the Pasuk say? From the morning until the evening. Look at what Moshe Rabbeinu went through for the people for Chate Egel. For 40 days he was on the mountain three different times. What are the three different times? The original time, 40 days and 40 nights when he's learning, receiving the Torah in order to teach it to Klal Yisrael. The next 40 days and 40 nights are davening for Klal Yisrael to be forgiven. And then the last 40 days and 40 nights, the Chodesh of Elul, which culminates in Yom Kippur, Moshe Rabbeinu is on the mountain because he's learning the Torah again. He's receiving it again in a second way where he can teach it to the post-sin of Klal Yisrael. Look at this person. When is his work being done? And that's a very poetic usage, if you want to know what the source of that, 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 that language, it's a Gemara in Brachos. The Gemara talks about the famous dispute between Rabbi Yishmael and the Chachamim about whether a person, Shimon uh, Bar said, you know that, what's the big deal? A person can just, you know, not be worried about a livelihood. He can completely devote himself to Hashem and everything will be okay. But pretty much the pragmatic response that, that, that's given to Rabbi Shemar Yechai is if a person does that and if a person is busy, then when is the malacha going to be done? In other words, the, if you devote yourself too much, at a certain point, you're going to break. You're going to break and you're not going to have time uh, for your work. And that's what he's borrowing. That poetic term is, when do you think Moshe Rabbeinu had time for himself? You know, a time for himself, a time for his needs. And it's obviously a tremendous question. What's the answer? The answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have time for himself. That's the real answer. Moshe Rabbeinu did not. Moshe Rabbeinu certainly sacrificed, but sacrificed to such a degree, sacrificed to such a degree that he's giving up on himself for Klai Yisok. By Arashem Kisar Liros. Mishum Hachi, therefore, Hashem wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to be successful and become rich and wealthy within the way that he was toiling for the people. What does that mean within the way that he's toiling for the people? Hashem wants everybody to know only because he was constantly involved with the needs of the community. Meaning to say if Hashem would have made him wealthy in some other way when he had nothing to do with him being busy for the community. If Hashem would have sent them a lottery ticket, so on and so forth. People would say, Maybe he happened to have a lot of Torah scholarship and that's why 
why he had a schos to become rich. Dechsev, we know it says about Torah's scholars, bismola oshavachavod. Maybe the primary point is not the riches, but at least on the left side of Torah, wealth and honor comes. So in other words, somebody could say that maybe Moshe Rabbeinu got rich as a reward for all of the Torah which he was able to learn. Hashem says, no, 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 I don't want anybody confused about the success and the wealth of the legacy of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's riches come from the way that he was paisal the luchos. What was Moshe Rabbeinu doing when he was being paisal the luchos? He was toiling for the people. He was the ambassador of the people to go make for them a new luchos. When Hashem made him wealthy in this way, when he's busy with what the community needs, there's no reason for error. So where he is right now, just at this point, he's going to develop this into a much deeper idea. But where he is right now is that Hashem wants the wealth to come in the job. Moshe Rabbeinu's job was giving himself to the seabor. Moshe Rabbeinu should not become wealthy from a side way. Moshe Rabbeinu had to see that the job itself was affording him riches. So it's on the job. It's as he's carving, as literally in the moment that he's making the luchos. He's not, he's not doing anything in, in, in going after riches. But as he's doing that, the psalis of that job, what the job is giving him is a re- the leftover of wealth. So therefore everybody sees and everybody takes in the legacy of Moshe. They see that the richness came from the fact that he gave to the Tibor. It's not despite the fact that he gave to the Tibor. And he sacrificed so much on himself. Nonetheless, he still knew so much Torah which brought him riches. That's not the way you should look at it. Rather, the correct perspective is through giving himself to the Tibor, through all of what his sacrifice was for himself, despite more like, despite the fact that he gave up on all his personal self, through the giving of the Tibor, that's where the riches came. Yeah. Yes, there is such a medrash. Yeah. The Gemara doesn't quote this. The Gemara only quotes the Psalacha. There is a medrash. There is such a medrash. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean that he was rich with it? Like, what could he do with... The, what could a person do with, 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 with in the Midbar? What are you going to do with it? <coughs> what, what can he do with... What, what is currency? The, yeah, what well, do, I think it was precious. It's like, it was, the, the stone is, you know, extremely rare things, and it, was, it belonged personally to him. So people would see that it's precious. I, I understand the importance, right, but I right. understand like, what it means. Right, right. What do you want to say? Maybe he sold it. Right, I don't, know, I don't know what currency, what value, you know, but it was valid. I mean, no, yeah. yeah, belonged to him. It was a it was a valuable entity. But so God only talks to people with money. That's what the Gemara says. Nevua, I'll tell you what it is. The Maral explains. Maral explains that that the idea of the money is independence, meaning to say that the person who's communicating the message of God should never be dependent on other people. In other words, it's more of a a, a need as a communicator to people than a position of strength for yourself, more than other thing else. But I'll, there's more MS to your work. Well, yeah, exactly. In other words, the the. Exactly. It's meant to be completely impartial. At any rate, so where he is right now is that Moshe Rabbeinu's wealth came from the work itself. It didn't come despite his job. It came from his job. Now, this now gets much, much deeper. Mikol Shekane, let's think more the needs of the community. Let's think about the community's needs, about the breaking of the luchos. The Medrash says, I think we're familiar with this idea that everything switched from the first luchos and the second luchos. The first luchos, Torah was going to be easy. What does it mean Torah was going to be easy? It was going to be easily received. The person wouldn't work from it. You wouldn't struggle from it. It would be that the study of Torah would come within riches, within greatness, within all the luxury of the world. The second luchos, after when we made them, yes, Hashem gave us a second chance. But the chance that He gave us was specifically that Torah would now be learned and acquired through 
poverty, through pain, through Yisurim, which means that there's specifically a lot of strength and toil that is necessary in order to get Torah. Now, based on this decree, where now you have to learn Torah, and now it's actually coming a hard thing. If anything, Moshe should not have become wealthy for the Torah through the second Luchos. He was the one who made it become harder. Moshe breaks the second Luchos. Listen to this ironic point. Moshe breaks the Luchos. By doing that, he makes everyone suffer to learn Torah. Torah now becomes something that you have to put in and would struggle for and work for and work for and work for. So now there's poverty that's associated with Torah. And Moshe is becoming rich off of this. That's the tremendous death. Moshe gets rich off making the second luchos, and the second luchos, what they represent is that Torah comes from Amelos, Yasurin, and the poverty and work. How could that be? He's the cause, Shashibra luchos, that he breaks the luchos. How is Moshe Rabbeinu getting rich off of that? How in the world are we supposed to understand that? You know what the idea must be. It's not, it's not the Torah scholarship is not what's giving him his wealth. If anything, the Torah scholarship post-Luchos becomes a harder thing to acquire. It comes with poverty. The idea is that he gave up on his own affairs in order to involve himself with what the community needed. And that's specifically why he became rich with this. And there's the point that he's saying is, is that the community needed a Moshe Rabbeinu to go make for himself a second Luchos. They were at a point where Hashem wanted to destroy them. They were at a point where it was, it was all was lost. Moshe Rabbeinu busies himself and puts himself out there to create an opportunity to go ahead and learn Torah. Hashem says, you're right, we can learn Torah, but from now on, on, learning Torah is going to come from something that we have to fight for, something that we have to struggle with, something that's not going to be given to us on a silver platter. Moshe Rabbeinu gives himself up, sacrifices himself to that project, and by sacrificing himself to that project, that's what makes him rich. So in other words, if the Torah would be making him rich, it's like a skula that he gets for being such a big Torah scholar, a reward for learning Torah, so if anything, you know, it doesn't make sense that he's going to get he's going to get paid back in the moment that he's causing Klal Yisrael all the poverty. But the idea is that it's not that way. It's this giving of the Tzarchit Sibor, what he gives himself to the community is what makes him rich. And therefore, the fact that he gave Klal Yisrael a chance to stay connected to Torah, that's his real source of riches. And he concludes with this. But oh, furthermore, what Hashem is trying to show us is when Moshe broke the first Luchos, he's 100% responsible for it. And 100% he brought it down and he destroyed it and the letters returned to Shemayim. But everything that Moshe did was for the benefit of Klai Yisrael. The decision to break the Luchos, when Moshe did that, what he had in mind was, I'm going to save Klai Yisrael. It was the most selfless act that Moshe Rabbeinu ever did because Hashem wanted to say, you know what, forget about Klai Yisrael, let me just rebuild through you. But Moshe Rabbeinu, when he broke the Luchos, he forced HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hand, so to speak, and he said, no, let's work and with these people, allow them to do teshuva, let's go make another luchos. Chazal say that when Moshe broke it, it's a famous story, there was a bridesmaid and uh, she had actually been disloyal and committed adultery with somebody else. And there was the bridesmaid, I'm sorry, the bride had committed adultery. So the bridesmaid ran over and what did she do? She ripped up the document that said that they were ever married. And by doing that, what she did is that she protects the bride, that's what, that was the act. It was a selfless act. And so to hear, yes, there was an act of disloyalty, but better that she be disloyal as if she was a single girl than if she was a married girl. So to hear, it's as if we're married to the Torah, right? The Torah is the marriage contract. We're married to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When Hashem gave us the Torah, so then we're married. So then if we commit adultery and we sin, then we're being judged as, a, as an adulteress who's already married. Moshe Rabbeinu throws down the luchos, he breaks them. And once we lose the luchos, we're missing the documents 
commandment that says that we're married, it's as if we're being committing the adultery as if we're still a single woman. And in that idea, Moshe Rabbeinu was a selfless act to try to protect us. Moshe did not sin by breaking the luchos. Hashem is, is, is agreed with him. We know the Gemara says, Asher Shibarta means Yasher Kosh Shibarta. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, Thank you. You should have more strength for what you've done. Yasher Kayash Shibarta. You have done well. You, you have done well with what you've done, Moshe Rabbeinu. Your strength should grow with this act of breaking the luchos. So, what does that basically mean? Now, when Moshe Rabbeinu broke the luchos, he was only thinking about Klai Yisrael. He was realizing Klai Yisrael sinned. I have to protect them. They have to lose the Torah, lose their marriage to the Kaddish Baruch Hu, so that they should only be viewed that their act of disloyalty was pre-marriage. Then we'll get the marriage again later. We'll make sure we have Psolacha, which comes about later. So the whole Psolacha, the whole story, the breaking the luchos, making new luchos, when we understand what Moshe Rabbeinu did, it was all to devote himself to Klai Yisrael. It was all a selfless act to protect the people, to help the people. Even though it seems like everything went down. Second luchos, the set, first luchos, the second luchos, first luchos were beautiful, perfect. Second luchos are imperfect, so on and so forth. But the beauty of the second luchos is that they come from a person trying to help it all the seaboard. That's exactly what the point. You know, the last words in the Torah, it says everything that Moshe Rabbeinu did and then the last words in the Torah are le'inei chol Yisrael. All that Moshe did in front of the eyes of all the Jewish people. Rashi says, what does Rashi say? The last Rashi al Torah is the breaking of the luchos. Moshe Rabbeinu's legacy, the greatest thing that he did was not that he split the sea. It was not that he took us out of Mitzrayim. The greatest legacy of Moshe Rabbeinu was le'inei chol Yisrael that he broke the luchos. And the reason is, is because that was the moment when he wasn't just an ambassador of God. What Moshe Rabbeinu did there was that he stepped up for Klai Yisrael. It was a selfless act for Moshe Rabbeinu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not tell him to do it. If anything, the Gemara says, it almost required HaKadosh Baruch Hu to come after the fact and say, Moshe, you've done well. It's the ultimate thing when a leader gives himself up to the people. And the lesson is that the richness of Moshe Rabbeinu came from that. Moshe Rabbeinu was not rich despite the fact that he worked for the Tzibor. His richness, his strength, his, his, his wealth came as a reward for coming along with the Tzibor. And he summer, yeah. What about when he said to Hashem, when he's arguing with Hashem, he's acting as defense counsel really here, and he's arguing with Hashem, he says, so remove me from the book. If you want to destroy them, I don't want to be yeah. in the book. That's also a very powerful thing. And then another question, why did the people later on, he had to wear pockets with no uh, jackets, whatever, yeah. with no sleeves, so they wouldn't think he's yeah. slipping in, uh, you know, stealing yeah. and putting, you know. So I'm asking, how does that, didn't, he further proved his dedication by saying... People always, people don't books. believe. What can I tell you? People, people don't get it. That's what, the people, people, people don't get it. I don't know that he got the, 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 uh, the shavings, know. the trimmings from the... Uh, I don't know. You know? But, uh, you know, people, people always think the worst. Put it that way. Mishamachi. It sounds like here, Shelley, that everyone was meant to know. Everyone should know that the wealth came to him because of the fact that he broke the luchas. And when he did that, he, he, set, he, he set aside his own things. We see from here the beautiful needs that everyone who's osik in the seaboard do it that the right thing happens that Hashem repays them. And I think he doesn't really conclude on this message but I think it's really important to see it this way. That psolacha, and this is the key, psal and pesel, which is that you're giving up, there are shavings, there's, there are remnants, is that when, you, when you're doing something l'shem seaboard it doesn't really work out perfectly. It can't be perfect. It can't be perfect in your life. It can't be perfect for them. There are always problems. 
So you're saying even even afterwards, Kla Yisrael accused Moshe Rabbeinu perhaps, you know, of, of trying to take from their own things by the Mishkan. The point is, is that there's, there's Pasal. And, but the Pasal itself is the wealth. That's exactly kind of what it is. When you're carving out, you're busy carving out. It's all this work that goes in. But Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately becomes, becomes really rich from it. And we look at the legacy of Moshe Rabbeinu from the parish of Solacha, of doing it for yourself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted everybody to see. You do it for the tzibor, you become rich. You never lose. You never view that you're giving up. And that's, that's the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. Let's try to do one more. I think we have time. We could do it. We're going to do Yud Ches. Church Yud Ches. Go back to the, the Ahmed Aleph here. This also uh, plays up on the theme of whether Klal Yisrael was a married woman or not when they did Chate Ego. It's an interesting, very interesting marshal. A twist from a Gemara. So he says like this. Pasuk. Zechor Leavraham. Yisrael Yisrael. Remember Avram and Yitzchak, right? Fine. Then what does the puzzle go on to say? Also, Abishra, you have to remember Eretz Yisrael. Because what, what happened with Eretz Yisrael? You promised, Asher Amarati, what did you say? You promised that Kal Yisrael was going to get Eretz Yisrael. So what's going on? Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, you got to remember the Avos. Save Kal Yisrael because of the Avos, first of all. Second of all, remember the Schus Aris, remember Eretz Yisrael. This that you promised of us, I understand. You, Hashem can't destroy the Jewish people because He promised to the Avos that He was going to take care of us. But the whole Indian of the land, what does Eretz Yisrael mean that Hashem has to forgive Klai Yisrael? Just the opposite. What does the Pasuk and Tilim say? What's the whole point of Eretz Yisrael? That we should keep the Torah. The whole point of Eretz Yisrael is to have a place that we're going to be able to observe the Torah. If we don't keep the Torah, we don't have a claim on Eretz Yisrael. And what he's basically saying and noting is that the Pasuk is mashma, that because of the gift of Eretz Yisrael, that's why we were forgiven. What does that mean? Because of the, of the gift of Eretz Yisrael, that's why we were forgiven. If anything, it should be harder. Hashem should look at the gift of Eretz Yisrael, which the whole reason why there's a Klai Yisrael to go to Eretz Yisrael is to keep the mitzvahs. Klai Yisrael doesn't keep the mitzvahs, so they should go to Eretz Yisrael? Like, what, what, what kind of business is this? How do we understand why why that the land of Eretz Yisrael is going to protect us? What exactly was Moshe Rabbeinu davening for? So he brings V'yesh Lemar, he brings a very famous Gemara, a Gemara in Kedushin. It's not a Kedushin, Paragimol, a man said to a woman, you are married to me, Almanas. And now he makes a stipulation. He says, on condition, if I will give you 200 Zuz. So a guy is making the Kedushin today, on Monday, and he says, if I give you 200 Zuz, then you should be married to me. The Kedushin is valid. And the question basically is, is, when is the Kedushin now binding? He gives her the, let's say on Monday, he said this, he gave her the ring and he said, I'll make, uh, you're married to me when I give you 200 Zeus. And then let's say on uh, Tuesday, the next day is when he actually gave the 200 Zeus. When is the woman married? Monday or Tuesday? So it's a dispute in the Gemara. Rav Huna, Amar, Rav Huna says the Kedushin is right away. You have to give the money at some point, but a stipulation is, 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 isn't when the Kedushin happens. The Kedushin happens now. The stipulations have to be fulfilled. 
But retroactively, as long as the stipulation is fulfilled, when is the Kedushin? From the moment he said, Ariyam HaKadashasli, you're married to me. Stipulation has to end up happening. But as long as it ends up happening, so then you're married from way before. That's Rav Huna. Rav No, it's only valid when he gives the money. It, if you make a stipulation, the Kedushin is based on the giving of the money. So the giving of the money is what makes the Kedushin. Until that point, we, can no, we cannot see a Kedushin at all. So the Gemara speaks out. What practically is the difference? At the end of the day, you got to give the money. And there's Kedushin. What's the difference if it's binding in a retroactive sense, if it's only binding once the money is given? What's the difference? Says the Gemara in Kedushin, Umashani, the Gemara answers, the practical difference is, imagine the woman went in between the time of the Kedushin and when the stipulation was fulfilled, she extends her hand and she accepts money from another man. Another man swoops in between the time of the Kedushin and when the stipulation is fulfilled. Some other man swoops in and tries to be Mekadishah. Let's try to speak this out. Rafuna holds once the first man gave Kedushin, when was his marriage effective? Retroactively from the time of the Kedushin. So then, there's no Kedushin to the second guy. She's already a married woman. But according to Rav Yehuda, that the condition of the first one is only effective once the money once it is given, once the stipulation is binding, so then the condition of the second person is valid because at the time he gave the condition, the first person's condition had not taken effect. So let's go over that point. Someone gives, a, a, on Monday, a man gives a woman condition, I'll give her 200 dues. On Monday afternoon, somebody else swoops in and give her money for condition. Then on Tuesday, the original man, man number one, fulfilled the stipulation. Who is the woman married to? According to Rav Huna, she's married to guy number one because retroactively, the time of the condition when she was married, the stipulation just had to go in effect. But once it went in effect, she was always married to guy number one. According to Rav Yehuda, no, she's married to guy number two because the stipulation is what's holding it up. Until the stipulation is fulfilled, there's no marriage. So therefore, there's still a place for the Kedushin. She's still, it's still waiting. So therefore, there's a place for somebody else to swoop in and be Mekadashur before it goes binding to the first guy. Well, That's, well, why is it called backwards once it gives the money? Rav Huna. That's what, oh, why does Rav Yehuda hold? Yeah, because... It's just a condition. So it sounds like that's the lumdus of a condition. That's what they're arguing about. What's shot in a condition? Doesn't mean that the condition is, is final. Just if this doesn't occur, then it's like, you know, it's not happening. Or is it when that happens, then this condition should go into effect? Like, is it if or when, more or less, is the question. Condition precedent is what they call it. Yeah. What were Ravuna saying on Monday night? They asked him. Like is she point. married right now? Yeah. He'll say, I don't know, to be determined. I'm not sure if she's married. That's what Ravuna would say. Right. To be determined. Napshat, when? If he ends up giving it, then she is married right now. Right. That's what's so interesting about Ravuna. Okay. So remember, the Torah is an act of Kedushin. That's the way we know the whole thing, Matan Torah, Shavuos, it's marriage, right? Where Hashem loves us, there's Erisim, Venezuelan. So the Torah is the way that we are bound to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we are into the, in this intimate relationship with Him. Now, here's the key. Hashem gives us the Torah, very important idea of, of Yadas, Amanasi, Tinlamaaretz. The condition is that Hashem would give us Eretz Yisrael. If you look at the whole thing, you look at all the Pesukim, they're very explicit. That I'm taking you out of Mitzrayim and I'll give you the Torah and then you'll go to Eretz Yisrael. So what he's doing is that he's trying to put this case into the Gemara. He's trying to say that's basically what's going on. Because Baruch Hu makes the Kedushin, he gives us the Torah. But he's giving us a stipulation. The stipulation is that you're going to go to Eretz Yisrael. Just like the groom 
gives the girl the ring, and he says, I'm Mikadash you, but I'm going to give you 200 zos later. So now, let's work it through. According to Rav the Kedushin is not yet in effect. The Kedushin, he's not really married, meaning Klal Yisrael right now, this is always the euphemism. It's as if Klal Yisrael went to another man when they did the ego. That's always the idea. But according to Rav Yehuda, they were, you shouldn't be treated like a full act of adultery. Because in the moment that they did it, they weren't yet under an Eretz Yisrael. Meaning what? Meaning therefore the Kedushin wasn't really Chal. It's still waiting to be Chal. It's only when they get to Eretz Yisrael that the giving of the Torah is binding as a marriage. So therefore, in the you don't have the right to be upset. If they followed the view of Rav Yehuda, they held that it's only with Eretz Yisrael being given to them that then the Kedushin goes into effect. So it's not a sin. There was still room for a disloyalty because the, there wasn't a final sense of marriage at that point between Klal Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And obviously what this is representing, and this is an important thing, obviously, is that what they're saying is until you give them the opportunity of Eretz Yisrael, then you can't see that the full romance was culminated between you and Klal Yisrael. That's really what it means. I mean, we're putting it into the mashal, into the dialectics of the case and Rav Zuz, and we're saying it's only and it's a when, it's not an if, fine, very great lambdas, but ultimately that's the time. The time is, you yourself know, Klal Yisrael, it's not consummated, it's not full, not just with the giving of the Torah. The Torah is there to get there, it's Yisrael. Before God giving Klal Yisrael, there wasn't a fully consummated marriage between you and, and the Jewish people, and therefore the taina from adultery that occurred with the ego wasn't complete. That's all the shitas, Rav Yehuda. That's very gishmak, you all like Rav Yehuda. When they gave Tali there were no conditions. So, yeah, it's a very interesting question. It, 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 were there conditions? In what way were they stated? So, there's, there's different points. By Avram HaKadosh Baruch Hu did promise. In other words, Hashem promised, I'm go- you're going to have children, and I'm going to give them marriage to Israel. But if, and you're right, in the moment of, and this is why I was wondering, I was reading, in the moment of like Parshish Yisro, for example, here, here's the Torah, Hashem doesn't say, and by the way, wait till we get to Eretz Yisrael for this to be binding. Right. We don't see that in the, in, in the giving of the Torah itself. But I think, I think if you look at the words to the Avos, mostly to Avram Avinu, the inception, the words of Eretz Yisrael is very much pronounced there. It is, it is highlighted. The promise of Eretz Yisrael, yeah. I know this is not shot, but yeah. um, if, if this is right, then, then they didn't do anything wrong at all. Correct, correct, correct. And you know, you know, you know what he was saying before. You know what he was saying before that it's adultery. Adultery is a single woman as opposed to a married woman. What does adultery of a single woman mean? What does that mean, right? So the idea is, and I think this is important. Even like Rev Yehuda, it's not. It, she's not supposed to do it. You have to know how to define. It. You have to know how to define. It. What what what's the illegality about it? The kedushin wasn't yechal. You have to know how to touch it up. But the fact that the kedushin is set and waiting to take effect. It's wrong, whether it's morally, whatever. But in the technicalities, you know what it is? It's like you get off on a loophole. You know, that's what it is. It's off on a technicality. That's more or less what Moshe Rabbeinu was arguing. Now, Vim Taimar, there's a big disadvantage. Vim Taimar, but wait a second, this is getting scary. Listen to this. If Moshe Rabbeinu was saying that they weren't married to Klai, that Moshe wasn't married yet because the condition wasn't fulfilled, so then who'd they marry when they, when they did Avodah Zara? They were turning to the eagle. And, and Fakert, then it should be Chal. <laughs> it should be Chal that they're married to the eagle. 
Just like in the Mashal of Rebbe Yehuda, when the second guy swoops in before the condition was chal, then what happens? She accepts the condition of the second guy, she's married to the second guy. Wait, wait, hold on then. So let it be like they accept the condition from somebody else. the second guy. So forget. Now she's married to the second guy. He's still married the eagle. Maybe going into Eretz Yisrael is not going to help them anymore. What would be in the case of the Gemara? What would be in the case of the Gemara? She accepted the condition from the second guy. Then the first guy goes and gives the money. Who's she married to now? Guy too. Doesn't matter. The second guy. So now Klai Yisrael is going to go into Eretz Yisrael. They're already committed to the eagle. So that right now wasn't a full adultery. But how is that a hope for the future? How is it they are going to ever be to be with the Abishta? That's not the, a... That's not a not equal. We're not married to Hashem. We're married to the Torah. So married to the eagle, like I think we're. Mar- I think the idea is the Torah is the kedushin that binds us to the Eibushda. That's the idea. So 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 it wasn't chal yet till we get to Eretz Yisrael. Somebody else swoops in. Very good. It's chal to them. So how is it going to help when the stipulation is fulfilled? So he says, very gishmak. Look at this. It's not a valid claim. It makes a very important point. Kedushay Tos. What's the din of Kedushay Tos? When a person has something met, confused in their dots, when they do it, then it's not binding. Yes, it's true that they, 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 were, they were disloyal, but they had a misunderstanding. They thought Moshe, exactly. They thought Moshe died. Now we could say that it was, we could, be, we, we could theoretically be Mavatal the Kedushan. Now here's the Tifkai. Listen, Rabbi said. So then just say that's the answer to the whole thing. Okay, so they made a mistake. Terrence is like this. Rabbi said, when there's an Isra, let's say you have a married woman who mistakenly commits adultery. Is it not adultery? 100% adultery. Adultery is not about a tfisa's kedushin to the second person. It's not trying you're becoming married to the second person. It's the fact that you're married to the first person. So how in the world are you sleeping with the second person? There's no din of, 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 of the toes being mavatal the adultery. Adultery is adultery. But here, it's not adultery. Why? Because they weren't fully married to the Abishta. Ah, you're going to tie then that the Kedushin was chal to the Egel, that there was a new commitment bound to them, so then it's not going to work to go back to the Ebishto. That's where his that's where his idea helps. It was Kedushet Tos. That that they went and made the Kedushin to the Egel wasn't full with the full awareness of Das. Void. And now here's the furthermore. Who's the halacha like? Rav Huna, Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda, everybody knows. Look at the Rambam, look at Shulchan Aruch. We pass him like Rav Huna. If we pass him like Rav Huna, as far as Rav Huna, the Kedushin Kvar, at the Mokhuv, that means the Kedushin was really valid from the Abishta the whole time. So he was Mokhuv to give the land regardless of the sin. Meaning to say, now this is where it's going to be a hard thing. Really, according to Rav Huna, it's the opposite. They were married to HaKadosh Baruch Hu if he gives them the land. And now it is an act of adultery. According to Rav Huna, it is an act of an adultery. But since HaKadosh Baruch Hu did marry them, he still mechuyif to follow through and give them the land. Okay, but hold on. Still, it's a huge sin. They still committed adultery, though, according to Rav Huna. We can't rid ourselves of that. Zokter. But you're right. But if you will give the land, which you're obligated to do because the condition went through. Here he invokes a very powerful point. We can't forget the gods of Eretz Yisrael. You know what Eretz Yisrael does? Eretz Yisrael brings out the best in people. Eretz Yisrael helps atone. The idea is, is that with, you're right, right now there's an act of adultery. 
But if the Kedushin was really there from HaKadosh Baruch Hu first, and if he gives them the land, it's a Kedushin, and it was an act of adultery, but the giving of the land will help the people atone for themselves. And that is a very important point. The point is what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Ha'ebesh is, you're right, they talk us in, and the Kedushin was binding. But if you follow through on your stipulation, and you believe in them, and you give them the land, you'll see that the land, that Eretz Yisrael, can be, have the power to elevate them, and help them atone and get through this. So yes, I can't budge then, then it's an act of adultery. You're right, it's an act of adultery. I'll admit there can't be off in the technicality, but I'm telling you, if you believe in following through on the stipulation that was binding and you give them the arets, you'll see that the arets will ironically come and be machaper. Listen to what he says. He says, first of all, you promised, you promised, you have to do it, but second of all, understand that if you follow through and you give them a land, what can be if you give them the arets as well? immediately with that by Hashem. Hashem, Hashem, Hashem has comforted, like he, he, he backs down from, from punishment. So let's try to summarize this piece because it's a beautiful piece of Torah. We have a machlekes Rav Yehuda and Rav Huna when someone gives Kedushin al-minas on condition that 200 just should be given. Two perspectives. Rav Huna says the Kedushin is only chal when the money is given. Rav Huna says the Kedushin is chal if the money is Kedushin, but it's retroactive. The Nafkamina, the Gemara says, if, if she tries to be a Kedushin in the interim from a second person. Like Rav Yehuda, she's Mekudashas to the Shani, not the Rishon. According to Rav Yehuda, she's Mekudashas to the Rishon, not the Shani. So what's happening here is that the likening is Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Yevishta, you gave the Torah, and by giving the Torah, that was a Kedushin to Kal Yisrael. But the Tanai is that Hashem will bring them to Eretz Yisrael and give them the Eretz. Right now, they are being mazana, the, the equivalent of adultery, by going ahead and, uh, and bowing to the ego. Let's think. Let's think it through. Like Rav Yehuda, they're off on a technicality. Because since you didn't yet bring them to Eretz Yisrael, so the condition is not consummated, so technically it's not adultery. Fine. Ah, you're going to ask then, then they, the Kedushin should be chal with what they did to the eagle. They've already been disloyal. Now they can't go back to the Eibesh. She's already, they're already married to the second person. To that, we make one, one of two points. First of all, it's a Kedushin Taos. It's a Kedushin Taos. They only went to the eagle. They thought Moshe was gone. So they didn't become in a new bind to the, to the, to the, to, to, to the eagle. It was a Kedushin they made only Vitas. And second of all, and now he switches camps, really the Halacha is like Rav Huna. The Halacha is like Rav Huna means that if Hashem would follow through and give him marriage to Israel, it would mean that they were never married to the eagle because of they were always married to our Kaddish Baruch Hu was an act of adultery. Ah, if you're in Rav Huna, then it's an act of adultery. So let our Kaddish Baruch Hu punish them as an act of adultery. So Zogmai Shurabin, you have to understand, what does it mean to follow through in your Tanai and give them Eretz Yisrael? It's not some random Tanai, oh, give them 200 Zuz. The Tanai of going to Eretz Yisrael, you have to understand what Eretz Yisrael does. Eretz Yisrael is going to bring out the best in Klai Yisrael. If it brings out the best in Klai Yisrael, he says, you'll see you're going, they're going to grow, they're going to shtai, they're going to be elevated, and you're going to see them, they'll be able to atone. If you look very carefully, and the beauty in this is, Meshachach already knows, right in Parshish Kisisa, right after Chateka, what does it talk about? When you go to Eretz Yisrael, you have to destroy all the Avodazars. That's the first thing. The first time that such a thing is mentioned in the Torah, that when you go to Eretz Yisrael, you have to destroy all the Asherahs and all the bad stuff in Eretz Yisrael right now. Because that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. He said, you're going to see, they're going to go there. You give them a chance, it's going to be Mechaper and Chateka. That's the Vart. Yes, it's Lamafreya, they were always married to Kal Yisrael. But if you follow through on the Tanai, and they were always married, then you'll see that the Aretz, the gift of Bechala Aretz, as I said, is that it will be able to atone. So, so why, 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 why